While there are many fascinating aspects of the Jonathan Hickman era of Marvel's X-Men, no one word sums up the shift in status quo quite like the following, Krakoa. One time little more than the mutant monster island that brought the all-new, all-different X-Men together, Krakoa is now the home to all of mutant kind, providing everything from sustenance to shelter to language and beyond. Today I'll answer, what's the history of Krakoa in Marvel Comics and how many different versions have we seen? Whether or not Krakoa's origins match up with Apocalypse's stated origin of Krakoa in Powers of Ten, and what secrets the island may hold, and predictions for what they'll mean in the Krakoa era of X-Men. Hey, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening to the series I call Cracking Krakoa, appropriately enough, where today we'll be doing the history of Krakoa. If you like the CBH YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Links to CBH channels and Patreon support are included in the show notes. You can find full X-Men and comic book reading orders on ComicBookHerald.com. Spoilers for discussed comics may follow. Krakoa debuted in the pages of 1975's Giant Size X-Men No. 1 by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Appearing as the most powerful mutant Cerebro had yet detected on the island known as Krakoa in the South Pacific. The original X-Men unit of Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Angel, Havoc, and Polaris flew to investigate, and their subsequent disappearance leads Professor X to assemble the all-new, all-different lineup of mutants, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Thunderbird, Sunfire, Banshee, and Colossus. Upon investigation, the new X-Men are able to find the original X-Men trapped on the strange island, and upon freeing them, the team quickly learn that the mutant they're searching for is in fact the entire island itself. Krakoa's origins telepathically flood the mutants' minds, telling the tale of an early atomic bomb test on the island that mutated all living things into a hive-mind island intelligence. Krakoa is also able to feed on the mutant energies of the original X-Men, in this case without actually killing them, they're kept catatonic in his vines, which does raise the question what Krakoa had been feeding on until the X-Men showed up that very first time. Presumably there are a number of years where there were other mutants Krakoa needed to feed on. At this point in time, Krakoa is not terribly different from the Jack Kirby and Stanley creation Ego the Living Planet, first introduced as a Thor villain. Frankly, the monster is even more traditional, lacking the cosmic scope and magnitude of Ego, P.S. art here by the incredible Trad Moore from Silver Surfer Black. At the conclusion of Giant Size X-Men, Polaris is able to fling the entire island of Krakoa into space. Silver and Bronze Age understanding of magnets is a absolutely beautiful thing, effectively leaving the threat concluded for the X-Men's future, or so it seemed. In later years, Marvel Comics would update the X-Men's connection to Krakoa's origins, most notably in the pages of X-Men Deadly Genesis by Ed Brubaker and Trevor Harrison. In the six-issue miniseries, it's revealed that the all-new, all-different X-Men weren't the first team of mutants Charles sent to Krakoa, and that there was another failed squad, led by the third Summers brother, Gabriel Summers, aka Falcon, that marched to their deaths, well, some of them, at the behest of Charlie X. One of the more interesting aspects of the secret history, at least as far as it concerns Krakoa, is that Professor X manipulated the X-Men's perceptions of Krakoa so that they believed the island was speaking to them and had to be stopped. There are a few elements that connect to the broader post-House of X, Krakoa era of X-Men here. The first is that Brubaker and Harrison's reveal here effectively fixes the oddity of Krakoa speaking English to the X-Men, setting the stage for Hickman and Company's mutant language and a Krakoan dialect only Cypher can translate. The other intriguing piece to me is whether this is a part of Charlie and Moira McTaggart's plan. How does this tie into Moira's goals for her 10th life and a last stand effort to see mutants prevail into the distant future? This is one of the bigger questions I'm considering reflecting on the entirety of Krakoa's history as I remind myself that Moira, through nine lifelines, has tried everything from siding with Magneto to siding with Apocalypse to assassinating the Trask bloodline, but now in her 10th life, she picked Krakoa. Why? How does this fit? 
Admittedly, it's very possible the professor's actions and Krakoan plot here don't fit. I've already done a deep dive on tying Moira's redacted journal entries to X-Men history, but it's highly likely Deadly Genesis fits into at least one of these redacted pieces. And as a reminder, these are journal entries that show, I think, in the pages of Powers of Ten, number six, where Myra is explaining essentially her history with Charles Xavier through notes, and she's blocked out a whole bunch of, of the details. I think one of these has to tie to Deadly Genesis. Now, as you can see from Krakoa's presence in House of X Powers 10, the journey through space was not the end of the island, although from here its, co its comic history is way muddier. In the pages of 1990's Quasar, written by Mark Grunewald, Quasar finds himself trapped among the Cosmic Strangers prize collection, which proves to actually contain Krakoa. It's a brief cameo, but it alludes to the survival of Krakoa after being launched into space. Aside from this, though, Krakoa's appearances in Marvel Comics generally become tied to pieces of Krakoa or Offspring, really leaving a lot of room for interpretation and quote-unquote lost years storytelling throughout the rest of the Krakoa era of X-Men. Before really moving on to Krakoa's descendants, I'd also like to look back at Krakoa's stated origins as they compare to the updated origins in the pages of Hoxbox. Apocalypse tells the story of Krakoa belonging to a larger land called Okara, as he puts it, ancient before the world existed. To my mind, this pretty clearly contradicts the atomic testing origins found in Giant Size X-Men number 1, and oddly enough reinforced in the pages of the 2019 Journey into Mystery, Birth of Krakoa. In this Dennis Hallam written Birth of Krakoa, Nick Fury, Dum Dum Dugan, and the Howling Commandos happen to fly into Krakoa in the aftermath of the atomic test that mutated the island. There are two possibilities here. One, the no-prize solution that Krakoa is both ancient and was the subject of atomic testing in the mid-1940s. It could be that Krakoa was already a mutant and then was irradiated and severely enraged by the U.S. bomb testing, as one might be. I suppose it's also possible that Krakoa was a non-sentient landmass, land Apocalypse protected in ancient days, and then gained mutant abilities and sentience following exposure to radiation. Or two, Professor X is a lying liar who lies. We just established how he fabricated Krakoa's origins, and the Birth of Krakoa special is simply a confusing entry, proving even Marvel editorial can get caught up in the Professor's dark schemes. Otherwise, as mentioned, there are large and small moments of Krakoan descendants over the past 30 years. My favorite one-and-done example is in Excalibur number 31, an issue I read as part of a Nightcrawler binge, thinking he would, you know, be a big part of Giant Size Nightcrawler number 1 by Hickman and Alan Davis, and was all too thrilled to discover it contained the son of Krakoa. Again, a very fun one-and-done story with Nightcrawler at his quippiest and most swashbuckling, and sets the stage for the possibility of Krakoan offspring lingering around other planet Earth uh, locales. Other small appearances include a brief kaiju connection in the pages of the alternate reality Hopping Exiles, as well as the short-lived Young X-Men, in which they meet a frankly mysterious version of Krakoa. One of the most tantalizing additions to the Krakoan legacy runs throughout the 1990s Generation X, in which Krakoan ties to the team's ecological biosphere are sprinkled throughout the run. In Generation X number 47, Forge visits the campus and posits that the biosphere, which up and disappeared in Generation X number 44, leaves the X campus in order to make the original Krakoa whole, as Forge puts it, for some unknown and possibly dire purpose. Again, this leaves a lot of wiggle room for future creators to play with if the lost years of Krakoa are to be explored, and we're actually seeing some of that in the Dawn of X. The absolute most memorable Krakoa, though, is the one developed throughout the pages of Wolverine and the X-Men introduced as a weapon of the New Hellfire Club by Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo. The New Hellfire Club, led by Kate Kilgore, who's been seen in the Dawn of X in the pages of Marauders, launched their Krakoa as a weapon against the new Jean Grey School for Mutants, with Headmaster Wolverine, only to have Quentin Quire eventually befriend Krakoa and convince him to stay with the school as a living, breathing school landscape. In many ways, this friendly inversion of Krakoa sets the stage for the allied island mutant kind currently inhabits, as we see it doing very kind things, like, for example, providing shade for Husk 
and her class. Krakoa becomes enough of an ally of the X-Men during this run that he even leads Wolverine and company to, Hellfire, to the Hellfire Club's opposing school base, where Kilgore and the like have their own breeding pool of alternate Krakoan islands. The Krakoa vs. Krakoa's Throwdown is amazing work from Jason Aaron and Nick Bradshaw. I love this run very, very much, and the touch of having a friendly allied Krakoa is something that definitely sets it apart. The same friendly Krakoa reemerges in the pages of 2017's super underrated Generation X, written by Christina Strain, when Krakoa goes looking for his pal Quentin Quire. This is Puppy Dog Krakoa, as the island unleashes all kind of accidental damage, including the near impaling of Jubilee, as it trudges through Manhattan just to get to its good pal Quentin Quire. Apart from that, though, the most memorable uses of Krakoa relate to clones or warped versions. One of these I've covered is the Warren Ellis written on Astonishing X-Men unleashes a clone Krakoa infected by the Brute. The biggest takeaway for me here is that Krakoa, or at least versions of Krakoa, again, this is a clone, can be manipulated by outside influences. Here we have the Brood infecting and, and manipulating and possessing the, the island, you know, sentience. But what else might be able to do that, I think, is a very interesting question to consider moving forward. Another incredible inversion can be found in the Kieran Gillen-written Uncanny X-Men, where artist Daniel Acuna delivers a vision of Castle Sinister atop the back of Sinister's clone Krakoa. The Sinister-heavy X-Men run is set during the events of Avengers vs. X-Men at this point in time. It's issues number 14 to 17 of Uncanny, and Krakoa is more or less included purely to escalate the action. But it's worth noting in both these instances that Krakoa can be cloned and infected. I think it's particularly interesting that Mr. Sinister would have experimented with clones of Krakoa. Obviously, Mr. Sinister is a key player in the Krakoa era of X-Men, and his eventual betrayal of mutant kind is all but assured. Plus, we know from Sinister Secrets that Mr. Sinister is likely no longer controlled by Pref Professor Xavier, and is operating his own schemes and plans. It's possible that he even predicted Professor Magneto and Myra's move to Krakoa and began developing his own insights into Krakoa's nature well before the move have to consider it when we're talking Sinister. So what else have we actually learned about Krakoa in House of X Powers of Ten and the Dawn of X? To me, the most important reveal comes in Powers of Ten number one, when we see that Krakoa survives into Moira's ninth lifeline to become one of Apocalypse's final horsemen. This indicates that Moira and Apocalypse have some experience working with Krakoa. Likewise, data pages in the issue refer to the fall of Krakoa, establishing that a Krakoan stronghold is a part of Moira's ninth lifeline as well. Scanning Moira's lifelines will also reveal that she and Apocalypse freed the, f the first horseman, which, if events played out similarly in Lifeline 9 and now 10, indicates a successful journey to Limbo on Arako as well, again, Arako being the other half of Krakoa. All of this tells me that something about Krakoa and the plan has to be different this time, otherwise Moira is just replaying scenarios she's already seen lose, right? If they already use Krakoa or utilize Krakoa as a nation state in Lifeline number 9, what is it about Krakoa now that is different? What has changed? In the present, apart from Doug Ramsey, both characters that have a unique relationship to Krakoa were also tied to the mutant's presence, however mysterious, in the pages of Generation X. The first is Mondo, who Doug convinces slash tricks into becoming a conduit for direct Krakoan conversation. Mondo's also able to keep a Krakoan gateway flower in his belly when the new mutants discover the flower kills one of the Star Jammer's space plants, which is a very interesting detail in and of itself. The second character is Black Tom Cassidy, who reveals in Generation X number 25 that he created a plant clone of Mondo to sabotage Gen X and use the Krakoan biosphere to infiltrate the team. Black Tom is particularly one with Krakoa now, although developments in X-Force are indicating that this bonding is driving Tom further and further from sanity. 
The biggest development for Krakoa itself is when the island is made whole in X-Men number 2, with Arako joining its long-lost other half. This happens oddly fast, although since the joining we've hardly seen Arako, save uh, a map here and a Cable number 1 journey there. I anticipate the upcoming Ten of Swords event will play heavily into Arako and Apocalypse's first horseman being trapped in some mysterious dimension, perhaps accessible through the island, but until then I do think it's interesting to consider that Krakoa is set up and performing throughout House and Powers without its other half. What changes for the mutant island when it's reconnected, as it now seems to be? Krakoa and feeding requirements remain one of the more troubling components of life on the island, and a reflection of the broader impact Krakoa has on mutant kind, oftentimes without them even realizing. Use of Krakoa as an island nation, and mutant kind's collective willingness to allow Krakoan feeding on their own psychic energy, is what enables Krakoa to grow to the size and operate a hive mind collection of gates across the globe, as opposed to the reduced versions we've previously seen, uh, a la Giant Size X-Men number 1. In addition to low-level feeding on mutants at all times, when something goes wrong with Krakoa, as it does when Horde culture crashes a Krakoan gate in X-Men number 3, effects include aggressive wildlife, decreasing landmass, and telepathic disruption. Similarly, in X-Force number 9, Beast casually remarks that Krakoa requires the consumption of two mutants per year if it's going to survive. The implication remains that this two-per-year quota is negligible, when spread across the entirety of a growing mutant kind, but never forget that Krakoa eats mutants. I also find little comfort in the committee's plan to let Selene and Emplate, i.e. other mutants who feed on mutants, monitor Krakoa's behavior, as neither character has been particularly trustworthy historically. Speaking of reasons to question Krakoa, there are hints of Krakoan trickery throughout comics in the Dawn of X, perhaps most memorably in X-Men number 7, when Nightcrawler is weirded out by the exactness with which the island fills his needs. Many longtime X-Men fans have been put off by the cult-like attitude of everyone on the island, and are perhaps vocalized when Kurt wonders aloud, doesn't that make your hair stand on end? The questionable undercurrents led me to think of the Professor X quote in Powers of 10 number 5, when he states, They will think we are doing one thing, but the truth is we are doing something altogether different. The broader plan and Krakoa's connections to it simply can't be as simple as new safe haven home. Moira and company know that is not enough. So what then are the secrets of Krakoa? One that really sticks out to me is the still mysterious No Place, which is a non-naturally occurring flower that sets up habitats Krakoa itself has no knowledge of. We know Myra is hiding out in an established No Place, but other options include the prison Sabretooth is kept in, or even a gateway to the limbo of demons that Apocalypse's first horsemen are keeping at bay. Remember, if Krakoa's already been a part of Moira's past lives, perhaps the use of no-place sanctuaries is a piece of the new developments that make this all a game-changer. It's also worth noting that both Krakoan biology and a no-place are utilized by Forge as part of his designs to keep Cerebro capable of backing up so many mutants of resurrection protocols. I'd considered that perhaps Krakoa was a front, and that the real plan was for mutants to settle elsewhere, but details like this make it appear absolutely essential. As such, I'm more inclined to think ongoing advances in Krakoan technology lead to more surprising transformations for the island, including what is my favorite theory that I come up with, which is an engineered Krakoan phalanx hybrid. How do you beat the man-machine supremacy? You make a mutant machine hybrid <laughs> using the phalanx that we see play out so prevalently in the pages of Powers of Ten. So, there are many big picture questions about Krakoa and its place in Hickman's master plan, so many that I haven't even yet mentioned the Marvel Universe now possesses another domain to place alongside the likes of Wakanda and Latveria in unique Earth locations. For me, the biggest questions remain, how do Charles Xavier, Magneto, and Moira get Krakoa in place as mutant kind's home? 
what exactly is a Krakoa no place and how are they being utilized, and what does it mean for Krakoa and Arako to be whole? How does this fundamentally change their nature moving forward? Next time on Kraken Krakoa, it's my 50th episode. I'm pretty excited about this and a little bit surprised. I'm going to be doing the Great House of X and Powers of Ten reread with supplemented issues for context and an eye towards theories and ideas. I'm really curious to reread House of X and Powers of Ten. I haven't done it, you know, now that we are this deep, almost 10 issues into X-Men and, of course, all sorts of Dawn of X issues. Um, if you're interested in playing along, please do. I would love it if you would reread House of X and Powers of Ten with me. The video will be coming out a week from whenever uh, this video is released here, and um, we can do a reread and come up with all the new theories and ideas we have now that we we have some Dawn of X under our belt. I think it'll be super fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Patreon updates. Hey, you can support Comic Book Herald over at patreon.com slash comic book herald. Thank you to everyone who has done so already. As always, I would like to thank here the Mysterious Benefactors tier, Jeff Zacharias, Trey Conrad, Jesse W., Slatron, Robert Mickelson, Professor Pride, and Steve Brennan. This week, I'd like to give a special thank you to Slatron, who uh, offered some of his... Uh, technical superiority and intelligence to the comic book herald faithful uh, it's a you know behind the scenes thing that i won't go into too much detail on but it is very meaningful and uh, very much appreciated to have such an awesome community of of fans i'm dave busing this is comic book herald if you like the the content and the site you know please check out comicbookherald.com you can find me at comicbookherald social anywhere and I'll look for the best comics ever in my Marvelous Year podcasts, where you can find me talking comics as well. Otherwise, I want to hear your theories, thoughts, um, opinions, ideas in the comments about Krakoa and about House of X and Powers of Ten, where we're going. And of course, I want everybody uh, listening to play along with the great House of X and Powers of Ten reread. I think it's going to be super fun to look back and come up with some new ideas and theories now that we're deep into this era of the Hickman written X-Men. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>